Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our looking at the landscape episode. So today, we're looking at the landscape of college basketball right now. Jalen and I picked three different takeaways that we have from the first couple weeks of the NCAA basketball season. So Jalen, what is one takeaway you have so far from the college basketball season? So, man, maybe I'm overreacting a little bit because of the fact that we've never seen a COVID-based season where teams are just randomly scheduling opponents. Um, Opponents are changing every other day based on cancellations and stuff like that. But look, the Kentucky Wildcats are a lost basketball team, bro. They have a serious hole at point guard with Devin Askew not really playing up to his four-star, five-star level coming out of high school. Um, BJ Boston and Terrence Clark are the, the spark plugs that they need offensively, but the team is not really shooting or playing well. They don't really have much of an offensive system. This is a team that really only had one returner, and you can tell – that for the first time ever, a full Kentucky freshman team um, under these kind of circumstances is kind of crumbling under the heat. Ryan, something that really stood out to me when I was looking into this team is this is the first time that a Coach Calipari team, um, Kentucky Wildcats team, has started one and three in his entire tenure. Um, This team is averaging 19 turnovers per game right now. And they're in a really weird spot. I mean, the Richmond loss was really interesting because it was by double digits. And now, don't get me wrong, Richmond is in the top 20 of the AP poll right now, but it has a lot to do with beating Kentucky. So it's just really interesting how this team has um, a, a handful of pro, pro, pro prospects, but it seems like their continuity on the college level is hurting them. And the other thing that makes it really interesting about it is we brought it up in our initial episode preview in the season. There was a lot of teams that were ranked at the top of the AP poll that we believed had a lot to do with the fact that they were having a lot of returning players. And in a season where continuity seems like it's extremely important, it seems to be showing out because most of those teams are still in position to be in the top 10 of the AP poll, if not a little bit higher So I think that the youth of Kentucky is showing and this is kind of the first time we've ever looked at it this way because coach Calipari has always had freshman letter teams, but this probably talent wise is one of his better ones, but from a overall team basketball standpoint, this might be one of his worst teams yet, unfortunately. To put things into perspective against Richmond, the last 10 minutes, five of the players that were on the court were all freshmen. The only other one was a graduate senior, or the only other one was a senior transfer, um, Olivier Saar. Um, Let's talk about Richmond, because I'm telling people not to take Richmond lightly. Last year, Richmond was 24-7. and They were poised for a March Madness run. And this year, they're still as good as what they were last year. So they're 2-0 so far. They beat Moorhead State 
Nathan K.O. put up 23 points. Tyler Burton had seven points and 12 rebounds, and other players scored in the double digits. Blake Francis and Jacob Gilliard put up 13 points. Grant Golden put up 16 points. Then they go to play Kentucky. Kentucky's shooting well in the first half, but they can't make a three at all. They went 0 for 10 from three in that game, and they only made three threes against Kansas the next, in the next game. They also turned the ball over 21 times, 11 of them in the second half. But Richmond, despite shooting 28% from three, pulled off two scoring runs to gain the lead, and then they retained the lead afterwards. Their biggest deficit in that game was six points. They were down four at half. Um, K.O., Burton, Golden, and Francis all had double-digit scoring performances. Richmond ended up shooting 59% from the field in the second half. They're now a top 25 team, and they knocked Kentucky out of the top 25, and they actually just beat Wofford a couple minutes ago by five points. So I, I'm telling people, don't take Richmond lightly. I agree with that a lot. And, you know, I've, of course, everybody's going to ride on the, the Kentucky victory and say, oh, man, they, they seem kind of dangerous. But I think what you said earlier on in your point is the most important part. Like, this was a team poised to do something last season before the stoppage. Like, um, and again, another team with a lot of returners. I think KO is the leader of this team, obviously. I think that's the biggest thing. And you can tell from the way that their play style is set up that this is a team that is poised to have four or five double-digit scores by the end of the season um, in terms of being able to carry the offensive load. So I think this is a team that can really hang with some of the top teams in the country because of the fact that they can score points. And I think another thing is the fact that they can go on runs. Now, granted, Kentucky defensively is not really, you know, up there per se in terms of their uh, their defensive acumen by, by any player on their team. I wouldn't say that any player on their team is necessarily known for that side of the ball. But um, Richmond has that kind of firepower to the point that, I think they can keep themselves in games constantly because of the fact that they have three, four, five players who they know can rely, who, know, who they know they can rely on to be able to go get a basket. So I think you have a point. I think that they're a dangerous team to keep an eye out on. I think, uh, again, a matchup like them versus Kentucky attests to um, how important having upperclassmen is, how important having continuity is in college basketball. And I mean, you know, I think that's just what makes Richmond scary is that like they, they play to their strengths. But let's talk about the overall picture between the two teams that we just talked about. Okay. Richmond is three and O now they're ranked number 19 in the, in the top 25. Mm -hmm. Kentucky is one and three. They've lost their last three, including an upset against Georgia tech, which seems more surprising. Richmond being in the top 25 or Kentucky being one, three. So I love Richmond, but I still think it's Kentucky just because of the type of historical context of it. Coach Calipari's never had um, a one and three start before um, since being with Kentucky. He's also never had an O and three 
um, skid in terms of a three-game losing streak to non-conference competition. That's never happened before either. There's been instances like 2018, back when he had De'Aaron Fox, where they had a three-game skid. I think it may even been a four-game skid in the SEC play, but not in non-conference play. So the combination of those two things on top of the fact that they have I'd say at bare minimum two NBA prospects in Terrence Clark and BJ Boston. Um, it kind of goes to show you that like as well put together as this team may be on paper, I think that point guard hole, you know, with Devin Askew, and of course we've seen Olivia Sar, uh, Olivia Sar as well, but that point guard hole is so significant. Um, and another thing that you have to put into perspective, I was listening to another podcast um, and they had made a really interesting point. Coach Calipari has always had a dynamic five-star point guard. You know what I mean? Even on some of his um, lesser teams, uh, Andrew Harrison, once upon a time, five-star uh, recruit, Tyler Eulis, once upon a time, De'Aaron Fox, obviously John Wall. Um, it, the list kind of goes down because, I mean, when you when you look at Kentucky, they've got a pretty good lineage at that um, at that position. Devin Askew right now is not that, you know what I mean? And that's the probably the most significant difference in this team versus his past teams is, you know, we're not looking for Kentucky to go 38-0 leading into the uh, final four like once upon a time. But at the same time, though, you know, this is a team that we're used to being extremely dynamic in the backcourt, and Devin Askew's not really holding the bar too uh, too well. If anything, he's playing beneath it. So it's really interesting um, looking at them. I love what Richmond's doing because of the fact that they set the bar so high last year, and you just wondered, could they duplicate that? Um, I've, excuse me, I honestly figured the same thing with um, Obi uh, Toppin's Dayton Flyers as well who were actually upset the other day. So it's one of those things where with Kentucky, man, all the history says that, like, this don't happen to, you know, Calipari teams, and that's just really weird to see. Yeah, I don't think anybody was expecting Kentucky to be one and three at this point, especially, like, losing to Kansas and then losing to Georgia Tech in the next game. But Richmond may end up winning the Atlantic 10 this year. Who knows? Um but let's talk about our second takeaways. Jalen, what is your second takeaway? Man, it's more of a, a question, more of a discussion I wanted to have on the podcast because when we did our NBA draft prospect stuff, we did not really mention this guy. We've had conversations off camera about whether or not this guy should even be considered and we've had our concerns about whether or not this is a dude whose game can translate to the next level. So I want to pose this question on the podcast that Ryan is Luca Garza, an NBA prospect, a first round NBA prospect, because I mean, this is a guy who I believe um, just from a lot of his like citizenship stuff that I've looked into and things like that. This is a guy who can make crazy money over playing overseas. Um, I don't know if it would compare to what kind of NBA contract a guy like this could, uh, could receive, um, especially because he's a senior, you know, it's something about the NBA that typically kind of hates on senior play. Um, we've had a little bit of spurt here and there, like last, uh, 
like last draft where Peyton Pritchard went in the first round and we both were extremely shocked, even though we both believed he was a first round talent. We always felt that like the whole senior tag um, would hurt an NBA prospect. Um, Luca Garza, 6'11", a 265. He's averaging 34, 10, and uh, with one assist. He's shooting 76% from the floor, 62% from three. Like, he's putting up monster numbers. But, like, in retrospect, he hasn't really played anybody yet, though. You know what I mean? So you have to put that in perspective. He's had a 35-point outburst and a 41-point outburst. He's had some crazy first halves. Um, of games, um, but he has to go up against UNC, who's three and one in in the top twenty five of the AP poll uh, on Tuesday. Actually, to, um, December eighth, we're recording this on the seventh. Um, so with all of that in perspective, bro, like, is Luca Garza an actual first round prospect, or is are these numbers just inflated by the fact that he's playing teams that are like not even in the league of the, uh, of Iowa? I feel like he is a first-round prospect, but I kind of want to see more from him this season. Okay. Um, like, you, like you mentioned earlier, um, he put up 26 points against NC Central, 41 against Southern, and 35 against Western Illinois. I feel like his real test is going to come against North Carolina, and I think if he has a great performance against North Carolina, I think people are going to start thinking of him as a potential lottery pick. Um, I think that depending on like who else he plays as well, because he's also playing um, very good teams in the big 10, like Michigan state, Michigan, Maryland, Rutgers, Illinois, Mm -hmm. like these teams are going to be tests for not only Iowa as a program, but for Luca Garza, considering that his draft stock could change based on how he performs against these great programs. Um, don't get me wrong. Luca Garza is a great player. It's just right. about how it, it's, it's more or less about what we talked about with Kate Cunningham in the rivalry games. How is he going to contribute? How is he going to perform? Is he going to step up or, or is he going to step up? That's the main question. Um, but I actually want to throw another question to you because this is actually my second takeaway, which is also a question. Okay. Given how deep, the Big Ten is in terms of great teams. Like I mentioned, Michigan, mm-hmm. Maryland, Illinois, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Michigan State. There were three regular season winners last year with Maryland, Michigan, and Wisconsin winning it last year. Do you think there's going to be one sole Big Ten winner, or do you think there are going to be multiple teams who share the Big Ten title? So um, I think the big thing is that the – the way the landscape of this season is set up, everybody in the Big Ten has a out-of-conference game that could throw them for a loop. Um, I'm going to use Iowa as an example. Right before Iowa starts Big Ten play, guess who they play on December 19th? The number one ranked team in the country in Gonzaga. Like, that could be a serious tone setter for Iowa going into Big Ten play entering December 22nd where they play Purdue. I think the other thing is that all of these teams are extremely talented. Um, 
and I think they're gonna knock each other off. Um, I think last year the Big Ten was in a really weird place, um, and I don't think that there was a true um, definitive team that you could say was the best in the country at the time. You have to remember that also last season was a weird time where it seemed like no team could hold on to the number one spot in the country either. I mean, Michigan State had it for what felt like 30 seconds. Uh, Louisville and the ACC only had it for like 30 seconds. Same thing with Duke, who blew it against Evansville. So, you know, last year was really weird in terms of the balance of power and the dynamics within college basketball. I think this year, if we're going to put things in perspective, I think the teams atop the the Big Ten, I still think Iowa's in the mix. I think the game against UNC and I think the game against Gonzaga will tell us a lot. I think Illinois is in the mix because I think Ayo DeSumo and Adam Miller are true NBA prospects. And, you know, Michigan State isn't making a lot of rumbles right now, but they're 5-0 and and they've played the most games in the conference so far, if anybody's been trying to make sure they get their reps in, it's Tom Izzo and his, and his Spartans. So I think those are the three teams that I want to keep my eyes on. Um, I really hope that Maryland can maintain in the mix um, 4-0 right now, one of the few undefeated teams left in the conference um, because there's a lot of one-loss teams on the schedule right now. And Rutgers, um, ironically, is in, uh, in the top 21 now, at 21. So... This is a very interesting conference, but I still feel like it's a uh, a three-team race. And if I had to put my money on it, I I want – I'm going to say me personally, I want Illinois to take the Big Ten this year because Ayo Dusumu has been coming back year after year for the sole purpose of not only just – you know, making this a better a better team in the Big Ten and making this a powerhouse uh, team in the Big Ten again. But he also wants to make the NCAA tournament something Illinois struggled to do. And I think being atop the Big Ten in the standings will uh, more than do that. And I mentioned, I think this is Illinois' most talented team since Deron Williams was there. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Last year's regular season champions, Maryland, Michigan State, and Wisconsin, all have a chance to clinch the Big Ten this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Michigan he's, Michigan State has picked up big wins over Notre Dame and Duke. Maryland has had a strong 4-0 start to the season. And Wisconsin, even though they were just upset by Marquette, they're still always going to be in the title picture. But given how teams like Iowa, like you mentioned, Illinois, and Rutgers are still in the mix – I really wouldn't be surprised if this comes down to the last three games where I think there could be as many as 10 teams vying for the Big Ten title. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, the Big Ten tournament is going to be, you know, very telling, um, extremely telling even, uh, if if that gets played out the way we hope. So, you know, but um, yeah, conference play this year is, is going to be more important now than it's ever been before because the measuring stick with having to pick up games at random times and play different teams you're not extremely used to scheduling um I think that I mean we're in for one because big the Big Ten is one of the most dangerous conferences in all of college basketball and I actually want to talk about a team that Illinois played as part of my third takeaway um 
Illinois played Ohio uh, the day before, the, the day after Thanksgiving. And I believe that Ohio is my dark horse team this year. Um, they're three and one so far. They almost upset number eight, Illinois at the time. Jason Preston battled IU dis- battled with IU Desumu all game. Desumu put up 27 points, seven rebounds, and eight assists. He had a great game. But Preston had a great game as well. He put up 31 points, six rebounds, and eight assists. He was attacking the basket a lot in that game, and he was creating his own shot. I'm excited to see what he has in store for the rest of the season. And not to mention Ben Vanderplas put up 20 points and five rebounds in that game as well. And then yesterday, they beat Cleveland State 101 to 46. Now, it's, it just seems like a regular game to a lot of people. This isn't just a regular game. Ohio went on a 40 to 0 run in the second half against Cleveland State. At one point, the score was 86 to 25 at around the eight minute mark. Jason Preston in that game had 12 points, seven rebounds, and eight assists. Vanderplas had 10 points, seven rebounds, and four assists. Dwight Wilson had a double-double. He had 18 points and 14 rebounds. And then London McDay had 20 points as well. I think that game, as well as the Illinois game, put Ohio on the map. And I think that, the, I think that Ohio has a great chance to win the MAC championship. I'm going to pick up right where you left off, literally, by saying that this is a team that I feel like genuinely can can take the Mac. Um, I think it's hard to debate. Um, I also think that when Preston is on, this team is dangerous. Um, I think that's really where it comes down to. Um, McDay, I feel like, is going to be a consistent score for them in terms of being top two um, leading scorers on the team. Um, I mean, like you mentioned beforehand, um, the game against Cleveland State was a barn burner in terms of the fact that they put up 101 points. McDay led this all, um, all players in scoring with 20 um, on the night. But Preston, 12, 8, and 7. That's a tone-setting performance at the point guard spot right there, making sure that even under circumstances playing a Cleveland State team who's not all that good, um, he wasn't extremely focused on scoring the basketball. Um, eight assists in a game against an undermanned opponent um, shows that you're more focused on facilitating and getting your teammates involved than trying to get your buckets against a team that you you know you have the upper hand on. Seven seven rebounds in the game I think is huge considering that we're talking about getting seven rebounds from a six four guard. Like he's not the most de- dynamic athlete either, and um. I think coming off of this past week where he was named player of the week um, in the Mac, I think that this is a team that's only going to build momentum. And although the, uh, the Illinois loss was close, it should tell you a lot about where Ohio is talent wise against some of the top teams in the country. I think, and I think that with Ohio that, it's going to be very interesting to see how their season plays out because a lot of their top opponents are within their conference after, after the Illinois game and after the, the Cleveland state game. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how Ohio performs as a team against other teams in within the conference, like ball state, for example, um, to close out 
the episode. Jalen, what is your third takeaway? Well, dang, dude, we've been talking about all these teams we've seen play. I want to talk about a team that I'm dying to finally see tip off, and that is the Tennessee Volunteers, man. This team, Jaden Springer out of IMG, potential lottery pick. Keon Johnson, potential lottery pick. This is a team right here, right, that is like so, so dynamic in the backcourt in terms of what they're going to be trotting out there day one. And they have not played a game yet. Now, it's interesting, though, despite them not playing a game, they're still atop the AP poll right now. Literally smack dab in the middle. Literally smack dab in the middle. And it's really interesting because of the fact that with no games under their belt, they've essentially not hurt their stock, but they haven't improved it either. So while on one hand, in SEC play, we see teams like Kentucky taking drastic skids um, in the wrong direction, um, and most of the conference outside of really LSU and Florida are not really in a great space right now. I mean, you have Missouri, you have Arkansas, you have Texas A&M, Georgia and Alabama as well, which Alabama is another team that I can't wait to discuss moving forward because they, man, they, they look really good right now. But Tennessee have no games under their belt. Even Vanderbilt, even Vanderbilt has a game under their belt right now. You know what I mean? You know, Scottie Pippen Jr. doing work for Vandy. But Tennessee has two potential lottery picks in the backcourt, and we haven't seen them dribble. Ryan, let's put it like this. Where do you think Tennessee can finish in the SEC if they get on their high high horse and start, you know, taking their schedule by the horns early? I mean, early on, they've got Colorado, Cincinnati, Appalachian State. I think that's pretty interesting run, but then they've got, uh, towards the end of December, Missouri, Alabama, Arkansas, Texas A&M, right out the gate. They don't really face a team that's in the top AP poll, top of the AP poll as of right now, until the end of January where they go up against Kansas. But but in between that time frame, it is a lot of SEC play. So is it basically, is this a team that you feel like can finish either atop the SEC or at least in the top five of the conference by the end of the year? I definitely think that Tennessee has the potential to finish as a top five team in the conference. Um, given how Kentucky has played recently, um, as we mentioned earlier, they're one in three. I feel like this is anyone's conference. And I think that it can either go to Florida. I think Arkansas is a great chance. Alabama is an up and coming basketball program. I think they're, they're also a very talented basketball program as well. Um, Tennessee definitely is going to have – they're going to have to fight for it, and I think that they have the talent to do so. I think you mentioned, you know, Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson, potential lottery picks. I think my only concern with them as players is if they even go in the lottery because of how deep this draft class is going to be going into the 2021 NBA draft. Um, I'm actually really excited. I'm actually equally excited – Um, to see Tennessee play simply because of who they're going to play. Like I mentioned, Florida, Kentucky, Alabama, Arkansas. Like these are great basketball programs they're going to have to play um, down the line this season. And I think that, 
you know, depending on how – I'm going to say this, like I said, with Luca Garza and with Kate Cunningham. If Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson can, can perform in big rivalry games, they have a great chance to become top lottery picks. And it all depends on – I think their draft stock really depends on how they perform in these, lottery, in, in these, uh, these rivalry games. But I'm excited for Tennessee to step on the court. Another potential NBA duo behind Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield out of Tennessee as well. Um, not same positions, might even go significantly higher than those guys, but still a really good chance. And like you said, I think SEC play will say <clears throat> a lot about what um, this team looks like moving forward. But I think my main thing for this team is is this. Once they finally tip off, they have a lot of ground to make up. A lot of ground to make up. Um, but across the landscape of college basketball, you can say this about every conference. And we haven't talked about the ACC a ton um, yet. And we're going we're gonna to get into that at some point because at some point we're going to really start breaking these conferences down as we get closer to conference play. But – Every conference you could argue right now has a has a a dog fight going on amongst at least the top five to eight teams in the conference. I think Tennessee is in the mix in the SEC. I think all the other Power Five conferences have a couple of names that you automatically turn to, but you can't pick one definitive winner. So I think that makes this college basketball season extremely interesting because we don't have the typical Dukes, Kentuckys of the world where we say, yep, they're, they're locked to be a part, a part of the top. Um, I mean, another team that we haven't even seen a lot of is Florida State. I think you can say that's in a similar ilk, and they've got, they've got another um, NBA prospect in Scotty Barnes. So to put this all in perspective, basically there's a lot of teams that we've seen, and there's a lot of teams that we're still waiting on. NBA prospects are not. I think that there's a lot of teams competing in these conferences right now. I think Tennessee is a team we haven't seen at all yet that is going to make their presence felt when the time comes where they finally tip off. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what is one takeaway that you have from the college basketball season so far? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get our podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace. Peace.